This is episode 55 with Olympic Trials Marathon Qualifier, world record holder for the fastest half marathon ever run on a treadmill, and the 2014 Vermont City Marathon champion, Mr. Tyler Andrews. All right, runners, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and we have an interesting show for you today. I'm talking with Tyler Andrews about his upcoming attempt at the 50K world record. He's trying to beat 243.38 for 31 miles this coming Friday on April 13th. Tyler's going to be going after this 30-year-old record at the Santa Barbara Easter Relays at La Playa Stadium in California. Uh, Go ahead and check out more about the day's events, this particular race, and go into even more detail on Tyler's training because he's publishing his training log at strivetrips.org slash 50k. And before we dive in, let me plug our sponsor, Inside Tracker, for all the great work that they do helping athletes identify overtraining and physiological deficiencies through their blood testing service. If you're in a hard training cycle right now, or you're getting ready for a PR attempt, determining your biological weaknesses is a no-brainer. Go to InsideTracker.com and use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout to save 10% on any test. Okay, everyone, we're ready to hear from Tyler. Enjoy this episode because we are going deep on his workouts, mileage, long runs, and all kinds of running geekery that I think you're going to love. Without further ado, please welcome Mr. Tyler Andrews. All right, Tyler, let's do this. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks. Thanks so much for having me here. Well, I'm excited because you're a fellow Massachusetts runner. You grew up in uh, Concord, and I grew up right next door in Lexington. So I feel like we probably ran a lot of the same trails and conservation land up in that area. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Concord was a great place to grow up. It's a beautiful place to run, and I actually started running kind of late, so I didn't didn't really appreciate it until uh, really after high school, kind of going back and spending time, you know, visiting my folks or friends back at home. And yeah, there's all these great trails, great forests, you know, you got Battle Road, you got Great Meadows, you got uh, all the Lincoln conservation land around uh, Walden Pond. There's just it's a ton of ton of great space for running. Oh, yeah. And that's like where I grew up. We were my introduction to trail running started. And I think if my wife has to hear me talk about how I grew up in the birthplace of American liberty with the Battle of Lexington and Concord <laughs> and all that one more time, she might kill me. But I know you'd probably appreciate that. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, Patriot's Day was always our, our claim to fame in Concord. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into what we're going to chat about today. And that's your upcoming uh, attempt at a 30-year world record, the 50K. And, you know, 50K is not something that's run all the time. It's much more common among the ultra marathon crowd is kind of like the introductory ultra distance that you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're very frequently done on trails or, you know, perhaps, you know, on an off road surface. So you're, you're going to actually be going for a speed record. And the current 50K record is 243.38. I'm hoping you can maybe put that time in perspective for us so that we understand, you know, how competitive that is, what that, you know, is equivalent to in other distances, so we have a better kind of frame of reference for thinking about this. Yeah, sure. Like you said, the 50K is is something that's not usually run to try and run super fast. Usually, um, like you said, they're run on trails, they're run on mountains, they're run... um, you know, sometimes in kind of championship style races, which is my my history with the event. So this is the first time that I'm going to try and run a really fast 50k, um, and it's really one of the first times in quite a while that that an event is being put together specifically to take a go at this record. I think the last person to really take a serious crack at it was Josh Cox, which I think was maybe 10 years ago at this point. Um, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, he. Um, he did it. I think it, is, it was uh, part of the Arizona, like the Phoenix Marathon or something, where he basically ran the marathon and then ran to a track and ran the last whatever seven and a half kilometers or so on the track um, to go after the event. And he set the American record and just missed the world record by seven seconds. Um, so to put that, <laughs> think about fifty kilometers. You're running for almost three hours and then you miss it by seven seconds. That's it's tough. And I've, I've talked to him about that race and he's like, Oh yeah, like there's things I would have done differently. And 
you know, things he's learned that, that helped me prepare for this event. But anyways, to, to get back to your question, to kind of put the event in perspective, to put the time in perspective, um, the way that I like to think about it is the record pace is essentially running a 218 flat marathon and then running the same pace for another almost five miles. And to put a 218 marathon in perspective, 218 was the the qualifying time for the U.S. Olympic marathon trials for uh, for men um, in the 2016 trials um, until they changed it at the very last minute, 219. But it was it was 218 to start with, and I think I want to say that there were maybe between 60 and 80 guys. You can fact check me on that that ran under that time. So we're talking about a time that you know is a very very competitive marathon time. And then you have to maintain that pace for another five miles. So, you know, there's a reason that it's a 30 year old record. It's, it's not an easy record to set. And so, yeah, it's going to take a, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of preparation. Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right there. And let's talk a little bit about that work and that preparation. Um, How's your training been going? I mean, what, how do you think about training for a, a record attempt like this? You know, I know you're going to be, uh, I believe running either most of the 50k or the entire 50k on a track is that right yeah that is right so it's not the most uh you know standard uh type of race to have on a track but really this event started out almost a year ago um when i was talking with my sponsors over at at hoka one one and they had talked about wanting to put together a whole weekend of track events um to really showcase the versatility of the track and of the Hoka team and the Hoka brand and everything. Um, so that's really how this came about that originally we were going to start shooting for the, the 50 K American record for the track, which was about 2:52, And then we started talking about the world record for the track. And then we started talking about the overall world record kind of as my confidence and fitness grew over the last uh, six to 12 months. Um, but really this is, it's an event that's part of a big weekend um, to really showcase running and try and get people involved in the sport and as, as spectators and fans, because because really that's that's what it's all about is, is is promoting the sport as a whole. So not only are we going to have the record attempt in the morning, the 50k attempt, but we're also going to have uh, elite one mile races that evening, uh, same Friday evening, uh, where we'll have a group of men trying to shoot for a sub four minute mile and we'll have a group of women trying to shoot for a sub four thirty mile. Um, so it should be, should be a really, really great event, uh, overall. So training has been going super, super well. And that's really why we're having this conversation. That's really why, you know, we're having conversations about world record attempts and, and why we're setting all this stuff up is because training has been going well. Uh, because like we said, this is, it's not an easy record. It's a hard record. It's an old record. And yeah, I really need to be in, in, tip top shape and, and the shape of my life to, to have a good shot at this. So I've had a, a unique training block here. Uh, I've been up until the end of 2017. I spent the last three years uh, living in training in Washington, DC for the most part. And my training there was very, you know, I, I, I would do the kind of standard two, two big buildups a year. So I'd focus on a race in the spring and a race in the fall. And mostly I was, I was working on the marathon and, and trying to get faster at that. Uh, so my, my workouts were very, very similar. I was doing the same, same type of benchmark workouts on the same courses, um, on the same tracks, you know, same time of year, all this stuff. And it was very, I had a very good sense of, okay, if I'm running this time at this time in the year, then, you know, I, this means this about my fitness. And, and I got very good at kind of predicting exactly what I was going to be able to do. And this last uh, three months here has been really, really different because uh, my partner and I moved to Quito, Ecuador uh, at the beginning of this calendar year, which is uh, located at 9,300 feet above sea level. So way high up at altitude. Um, And all of a sudden, all of the benchmark workouts that I had done in the last three years were either completely impossible or the benchmarks were totally wrong. Um, because the altitude makes uh, the pace that you run up here so, so much different. So really for the first probably two months of training here, I was pretty much just flying blind. Um, I had hooked up with a group of athletes that is essentially the Olympic development and national development team uh, here for Ecuador. So I was training with guys who are really, really good um, and I was I was doing well in those workouts, but they were very different workouts than I was used to. So 
I knew that I was getting fit. I knew that I was getting fitter from week to week because I was, you know, I was getting closer to, to the top guys in this group and, and I was doing better and better and feeling better and better in workouts. But I really didn't know how is this going to translate to a race until I just went down to sea level and raced. And so really that didn't happen until I ran the, the Rock and Roll DC Marathon on, uh, I think it was the 10th of March. And that was the first time that I was at sea level. I was doing a really long, continuous effort and it went super well. Uh, I had originally gone in with the intention to run the first half really conservatively and then try and run the second half at about goal 50 K pace. And I ended up just feeling really, really good in the first, uh, 10 kilometers or so of the race. And so I actually went earlier than I anticipated. I, I made a move around eight or nine miles and basically ran the last 18 miles of the whole race by myself uh, and and right at exactly the pace I wanted to, just under 50K world record pace. Um, so that was that was a huge, huge, uh, huge turnaround for me, a huge kind of confidence booster of, okay, you know, whatever we've been doing here, it's super different, but it's it's working we're, we're on the right path. I'm exactly where I needed to be, if not ahead of that. Um, and so that was really the, 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 the key session for me in terms of coming back to keto at that point and being okay, like we'll just do more of more of what we've been doing, do a few more longer runs. And, you know, that was three and a half weeks ago at this point. And now we're, we're less than two weeks out. So really all the, all the big sessions are done at this point. And it's just a matter of, of tapering and, and staying healthy and, and getting to the start line in one piece. Well, I'm glad to hear that the marathon went well for you. That's clearly a, a really specific kind of a session that will tell you, you know, whether or not you're in the ballpark of getting this 50K record. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the altitude because you are up pretty high. I mean, 9,300 feet is pretty, uh, it's typically higher than what a lot of other elite runners do their kind of altitude camps at, which, you know, I've seen a lot of camps ranging from, around 7,000 feet, maybe 7,500 feet in Flagstaff. Uh, a lot of runners maybe go up to 8,000 feet. Why do you go up that high? And then maybe you can talk a little bit more about the impact of the altitude on your training. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I, first of all, altitude, I think is something that is super, super person to person. So I should, I should give a bit of background here, which is that I've worked for a program called Strive Trips for the last eight years now. And we organize running programs for high schoolers and, and college kids to, to come to both Peru and Kenya and, and train during the summer there. And those programs are, are both at altitude. I, I run the Peru side. I'm, I'm more just involved administratively in Kenya, but I've been on the ground in, um, in Peru for the last eight summers. And that program is located at, I think, 9,700 feet, almost 10,000 feet. So for me, that's been an amazing experiment because a, I've been able to see how I react personally to really high altitude. And I've also been able to see a ton of kids come through probably a couple hundred kids at this point over, over this almost last decade. Um, and see that as much as like I respond really well to altitude, there's really very little pattern to how other people respond that altitude is something that's so personal that you really just kind of need to try it and see if it's something that works for yourself. Some people, can adjust and can, can train at a really high level at, at very high altitude. And some people, you know, that red line for wherever their body can perform is, is just a little bit lower and it really has nothing to do with fitness or, or anything else that I can tell. It's just, I don't know, it's just person to person. Like some people, they, they really respond well to high altitude. Some don't. Um, so anyway, so I, I've always kind of known from, really that first trip there that, that high altitude training was something that I've responded well to. And that, and then even, yeah, really high altitudes, like 9,000, 10,000 feet are, are, you know, for me are something that my body can adapt to and I can train there pretty well. Um, so I, I was confident that I'd be able to train at a pretty high level here in Quito. I should also mention that I had trained here before, um, basically right after I graduated from college, you know, in college I was, I was kind of a, a mediocre collegiate runner. I was a division three runner. You know, I made nationals a couple of times, but I only made nationals once as an individual on the track. I wasn't a superstar or anything. And this was D three. So I, I really had no prospect of, of getting signed right out of college or running professionally or anything like that. So for me, it was more, I really wanted to just train and 
especially to train at altitude and train for longer events. I kind of always knew that my strengths were going to be in the longer road races and, and see what would happen. So I, I moved here to Quito right after, uh, right after I graduated from high school, from high school, from college and stayed here for, for about, uh, for about that first year, uh, from, 2013, 2014. And that year went super well. I, I trained really well up here. I, again, I, I had a, a group of people. This is a different group um, that I was training with up here. Um, I ran a ton of road races. I improved a lot. Um, then I ended up getting invited to debut at Boston Marathon that, that uh, following spring. And, and that's kind of how I got signed. So again, altitude and keto in particular were, place, were, were, were two elements that I knew I'd had re- a lot of success with in the past. So when we realized, my partner and I realized we have this kind of random chunk of time, we have like nine months basically before my partner started graduate school and said, okay, well, let's, you know, it's a beautiful place. It's got great weather, you know, we'll kind of skip out on winter. And for me, I knew it was a great training environment. Um, so that's, that's kind of what pulled us down here in terms of the altitude itself. Uh, one of the things that I really love about Quito is that you actually have a ton of different altitudes that are accessible. Um, so like you said, a lot of guys train more at like 7,000 feet and there is a reason for that. Like you can run faster and for longer at 7,000 feet than you can at 9,000 feet. Like there's definitely truth in that. There's no debating that. And so one of the things that I love about it here is that I can literally drive from my house and in 15 minutes I can be at 7,500 feet. You know, if I drive two hours, I can be almost at sea level. Like Ecuador is a very, very small country. So you can get a huge variety of different training stimuli within a very, very small package. And that's something that we've done. You know, we do go down to do our, some of our harder long runs um, at 7,500 feet. And I've gone down to do a few very specific workouts um, basically at sea level. So for me, altitude is something that I've always responded to really well. And here in Quito and in Ecuador in particular, it's something that that I have a ton of control over because I get, you know, obviously I'm sleeping at the highest point, which is great. And I'm doing all my easy runs at this highest point. Um, but if I feel like I need to go down to get in some faster running, I can do that really easily. Well, I like that you're using altitude as a training tool and it's not just something that, you know, you're using as the general backdrop for all of your training, but you're using it a little bit more strategically, you know, sleeping and doing your easy runs at the really high altitudes. And then it almost sounds like as the intensity level of a particular training session increases, the altitude decreases. So maybe your faster workouts, you might go lower and then maybe kind of a middle of the road challenging long run, you know, it's kind of an in-between area. And, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of those numbers, you know, let's talk about some of those, um, you know, long runs, you know, you, you mentioned more specific challenging long runs and workouts. Walk us through maybe some examples of some of your more challenging long runs. And then, you know, maybe what kind of mileage you might have been doing over the last couple months to be able to hopefully take a crack at a 30 year 50k record. Yeah, sure. No, I love to geek out about the numbers. I can do that all day. <laughs> Me too. It's so, like why I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm someone who's always run a lot, like even going all the way back to college, like I was always butting heads with my college coach because I wanted to do more mileage. Um, and it's just, it's something that I've loved to do. It's something that I've, my body has always responded really well to, you know, I'm not someone who gets injured really easily, knock on wood. Um, so I've been able to always handle that. And, you know, I've always just kind of responded well to that. So I've, you know, I've run as high as uh, 160, 170 miles a week in some buildups. Uh, this buildup has actually been lower for me. Um, incidentally, I've, I think I topped out around 145 miles a week, um, in the last couple of months. And part of that is because, like I said, it's, it's the first buildup I've done at altitude in a really long time. And I think that you get a lot more out of your like easy aerobic runs, um, than you do at, you know, doing those at sea level. So for me, the extra, whatever, 20 or 30 miles a week that you could get putting that into your kind of easier runs. I think that the risk there is higher than the reward because you're already getting such a strong aerobic stimulus from, you know, doing all your easy runs at, at 9,300 feet for mileage. It's been probably mostly between like one thirties and one forties for the last month or so. I usually go on basically like a 20 ish day cycle. So instead of thinking of like calendar weeks, my coach and I usually, we put together a block of about 20 days. So about three weeks of up volume. And then instead of taking a traditional down week, we take three super, super light days. 
So I'll go from running, you know, 20 miles a day and, and this is all on doubles. So I'm, I'm running twice a day, every day during these blocks. And then I'll, I'll take three days where I only run one time and it's like 40 to 60 minutes of jogging. So it's kind of this idea of super compensation where you do a huge block with a lot of really hard stuff in it. And then you do super, super light for a short period of time and then you get back into it. Um, and that's something that's worked really well for me. That's kind of been the macro structure of, of the last, uh, three months or so since this buildup started in terms of specific workouts, uh, really the focus has been on probably three different, like what I would call energy systems. So at the very top end, we, we try and touch top end speed quite a bit, probably more than you might think for someone who's trained to run a marathon or a 50 K. So we do strides every single day after every run, um, four to eight strides. Um, and those are really, they depend on how I'm feeling. So if I did a three hour long run in the morning, those strides are obviously going to be really, really light. But again, it's just to like focus on mechanics, focus on efficiencies, like every single day, like even if you're, you know, are super beat up from your morning session, I think it's really important to just spend whatever, 40 seconds of your afternoon run running at like really good pace, really good efficiency. Um, just so that your body never gets used to kind of like slogging through a run where you're really tired or something like that. And then beyond that, we do, we try to do one session a week of really focusing on, on top end speed. Um, so that could be, um, something like a short Hills session where you're running Hills that are pretty steep, um, from anywhere, from like eight to 15 seconds. So really short, but pretty much all out effort. And then this, this buildup, I've actually done more of really short track work just because, like I said, I've been working out with this team and that's what they tend to do. Um, so that would be anything from like, you know, one fifties to three hundreds. And I actually really like it because the way that this, that, that we do things with the team usually is that we keep, keep things relatively aerobic. So you could do, you could do two hundreds with, with full recovery. So that, that would be basically, you know, you're running absolute top speed and taking, you know, two or three minutes recovery, or maybe even more at altitude. Um, but the way that we usually do it is we'll do, you know, like 800 to mile pace. So not quite top speed, but quite short rest and and at altitude, the short rest is what absolutely kills you. So like the first of these workouts, I just got totally dusted by these guys. I was like dead after like three reps. Cause we'll do, We'll do like 12 to 20 by 200 with like 40 seconds rest, 60 seconds rest, something like that, which is really, really short up here. And like after like one of those, you're just like in oxygen debt for the entire thing. And it's like, oh my God, it's insane. But you're not running that fast. Like you're not doing as much uh, kind of muscular, like joint stress on your body because like you just aren't running as fast. You can't run as fast when you're in that much oxygen debt. So I really, I actually really, really like that workout because it accomplishes two things. It gives you a huge aerobic stimulus because like I said, you're basically redlining the whole workout. Um, but you also like, it forces you to, tr to still run fast. Like you're not running slow or running like 30, 31 for 200, but so, so you have to like have good mechanics. You have to like have good turnover, but it's not so fast that then it leaves you like totally dead the next day. Like it feels extremely hard while you're doing it, but it's the kind of session that like five minutes later, you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad. And now I can do a nice little cool down, you know? So yeah, so top end speed and then kind of like mid range speed, I guess would, would be the other session that we do. And that would be anything from like 400s, like a lot of 400s with short rest, uh, at five to 10 K pace up to, you know, thousands, 1600s, two Ks, um, you know, at the same pace and all this stuff is being done in keto too. So like it's, you know, these, these sessions are quite hard just because the altitude is so high here. And then the lastly, like the things that for me are most important for, for this kind of session are, are the really long runs that I've done this block. So usually when I'm starting a block, I'll start out just kind of like building up my runs for time on feet, um, and do them at a pretty moderate pace. Uh, so I think we started out with like, I don't know, probably, probably like two hours and then two hours, 20 and then two hours, 40 and then three hours, something like that. And those I'll, I'll run either here in, in Quito at, at 9,000 or down in, in the Valley at 7,500. And you know, those, they're not like super, super fast. Like it's not specific, but they're not, they're also not slow. It's not jogging. Like, you know, the second half of those runs is definitely not conversational pace. It's you know probably what you call like up tempo. Um, 
And so really the point of those earlier long runs is, is to prepare you so that by the time you get to, you know, whatever the last five, five or six weeks that you're really, the, the, the time on feet is no longer an issue. So the first runs, it's like, okay, I just need to get to the point where I can run three hours and have it not feel so bad. And then the last half of, of the buildup is more about, I need to start doing specific things during these long runs. Um, and now it's, I'm not thinking about, Oh, am I going to make it to three hours? It's like, okay, what, what are the specific paces that I want to be hitting during some of these runs? Um, so I basically alternated the last six weeks of this buildup with, with, uh, longer continuous runs and, uh, longer kind of fart like style runs. So the continuous runs, uh, would just be, you know, a continuous run anywhere from two hours to three hours. Um, and the idea is that you want to be basically progressing. So starting out more moderate and finishing pretty fast. Um, so like the marathon is an example of that kind of run, um, you know, where originally I had mapped out, I was going to do, you know, the first half at, you know, whatever slow pace, like three thirty per K. And then the second half at goal race pace, which is about three fifteen. And then the other one, I, I did, uh, a three hour long run up here in Quito. Um, that was 47 K so like almost 30 miles. And that was, it was similar. It was, you know, start at, you know, a pretty comfortable pace and then try and run the last, uh, you know, 40 to 60 minutes a bit quicker. And then those fart like runs are, are more specific to race pace. But again, because we're doing those at altitude, they just have to be shorter reps. Um, so, you know, some of the workouts that I've done at sea level in the last couple of years that have been really, really good, uh, stimuli and good indicators for me have been really long reps at marathon pace. So things like, eight by three K or six by five K at marathon pace, um, with a kilometer of recovery in between. So, you know, you're doing a whole long run. You're never stopping. You're never running that slow. Like those kilometers aren't really slow. They're, they're still pretty like, you know, normal running pace, but those workouts are too hard to do up here. You just can't do them at altitude. So the, the fart like workouts we did were one K one K's 1600s and then two K's and so that was like for a total of about 30 kilometers worth of running. So again, the idea is you're, you're doing running right at goal race pace. Um, and you're just making the, the intervals that you're running fast at a little bit longer each time and keeping the rest the same so that your overall average is faster. So you're doing, you're doing more running, um, in the same amount of time or the same amount of distance at that goal race pace. Um, so yeah, so for me, everything training wise, it's always a progression. It's always like, you know, how do we how do we, what, what's the end goal? And then really working backwards from there. So like, what do we need to be doing in the last five weeks? And then looking at those five weeks and being like, okay, if those workouts look really hard, what do we need to do in the five weeks before that? So that those workouts seem reasonable. And that's kind of like how we get to the starting point. Well, Tyler, I think we have reached a new level of running geekery here on the pod. <laughs> Yeah, sorry if that's too much detail. <laughs> no, I, I could not be more thrilled. I'm loving this right now. And there's there's probably one aspect of this that I'll hit on and relate it back to uh, us mere mortal runners who aren't going after world records. And that that's this idea of spending part of your training cycle getting your long run distance up to a certain level. And then once you can get up to, let's just talk about the marathon because that's much more common. You know, let's say you want to get up to a 20 mile marathon distance, you know, kind of a marathon specific long run, you know, get up to 20 miles. But then once you've done 20 miles, maybe two, maybe three times, that's when you can start adding in the quality, you can start doing almost like workouts within your long run to make them more specific to the marathon race that you're preparing for. And, and that's essentially what you've done with your 50k attempt here. And one of the problems I run into with a lot of runners preparing for the marathon is that, you know, they might be 12 weeks, 16 weeks out from the marathon, and they've only gotten their long run up to say 10, 11 miles. And so the whole goal of the training cycle then is, okay, let's just get your long run up almost <laughs> just so that, you know, you are able to finish the marathon on race day. And I think hearing you talk about your approach really reinforces this principle that, you know, if you can start a training cycle already in good shape, already fairly capable of running a, a decent long run, you know, more like 14 or 15 miles, that essentially gives us more flexibility to make your long runs more challenging, more specific, and ultimately increase your fitness even more so that 
by the time the marathon comes, you know you're going to be able to finish. And then the next question then becomes, okay, how can I finish a little faster? So I, I just love that you kind of drove that principle home. And uh, hopefully our listeners can kind of use that to their advantage when they're training for, you know, other races, not just a, a 50k, but perhaps a marathon too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a, a common adage that my my coach and I go back to is that there's training to race and then there's training to train. And I think that a lot of the problems that people have, especially in a race like the marathon, is that they, they actually it's it's really hard to get to the point where they're they're actually training to do the race because they're just training to do the training. Like mar- that's the reason that the marathon is so hard, is because you have to get to this point where you're right. Like the 20, the, just finishing the 20 mile run, that can't, that, that can't just be the goal of the session. You know, if you're talking about the, the kind of late, late stage workouts that you have to be doing. And, and this is, this applies across the board, whether you're doing your first marathon or whether you're, you know, trying to make the Olympic trials or anything. And I, I think that a lot of people, you know, when they look at long runs for, for shorter distances that they do, you know, if you're training for a 5k or a 10k, and you're, you're doing a, you know, a 90 minute long run or something. The point of that run is really just, you know, for kind of long-term aerobic development. But when you get to the marathon, those long runs take on a different need. So if, if you're doing the long runs the same way that you have been for the 5k, then you're really missing out on a big chunk of the training. So yeah, like I said, we, we always think about working backwards. So the training that we're doing in the beginning of the block is really just we're, we're all we're doing. We're not thinking about the race yet. We're just thinking about the upcoming workouts. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm doing this long run so that I can run a marathon in three months. I'm saying I'm doing this long run so that the really hard long run that I have coming up in one month, I'll actually be able to do that, you know, so that it won't feel so daunting. Exactly. And it's funny, I was just talking to a trail runner here in Colorado, David Roche, and he said something that uh, is is very similar. He said, start from a place of fitness and then move to specificity. The general idea here is if you're not fit, you can't do the specific work. And if you don't give yourself enough time to really get fit before the specific work happens, your entire training cycle is just going to be spent in the general fitness kind of place. And and that's where, you know, you're talking more about finishing races or, you know, maybe running a, a moderate effort. But as soon as you really want to get fast, start running PRs, you know, you have to always be in a state of general fitness. And that will then allow you to really be working on your specific fitness for most of the training cycle. And that's, I think, where the magic happens. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, specificity is, is really the key word to touch on there. We we draw a lot from the Italian coach Renato Canova, who coaches a lot of the top uh, Kenyan athletes, and that's exactly his philosophy: is that basically you split the training cycle into two things. There's the fundamental period where, like you said, you're just getting generally fit. You're training to train. You're doing the training so that then, by the time you get to the specific phase, you know you're actually doing the work that's specific to your event. And and every event has has very specific needs. You know, the training to run 800 meters is totally different than the training to run to run a marathon. It's, it's totally different. And I should add one more thing that, that's kind of relevant to this. My, a, a friend of mine, Kyle Merber, who's another Hoka athlete, um, gave me this great phrase a long time ago that he calls the balloon theory, which is basically that it's not like every single time that you start a buildup, you have to like do this really long specific phase that like, if you blow up the balloon, like you get fit every time, it's going to be easier to blow up the balloon to that same amount. So, you know, if you have uh, you know, if you want to be able to start your, your marathon cycle by being able to run for 90 minutes or two hours continuously at a good, at like a moderate pace, you know, if you do that long cycle to build up to that once, and then you do your marathon and then you take a little time off, it's going to be way easier the second time to do that. So it's not like we're talking about, Oh, you have to do this huge six month buildup every time you, you do something like this. But you know, once, once you do it once, it's much, much easier to then go back and do it again. Yeah, and I think of that as like almost climbing a mountain and yeah. after a period of recovery, you don't necessarily have to start at base camp every single time you want to reach the summit. You can start higher and higher points because your general fitness is theoretically higher and higher after every single training cycle. Um, speaking of specificity, let's talk more about the race itself. It's it's being done on a track 
So that's clearly a, a factor that you have to take into consideration. Talk to us a little bit about your strategy for the race, um, maybe pacing wise, and then go into things like fueling and uh, other ways that you're you're hoping to control all the different aspects of, of racing. Yeah, sure. You touched on a really important word there, which is control. Um, so obviously, whenever you're trying to set a record, you want to be able to control as many things as you can. Um, and you know, there are some things that we can't control like the weather or, you know, if you get a stomach flu or something like that, but there's a lot of things that we can control. And the thing that I like about the track as much as, you know, 127 or sorry, 125 laps around, uh, around a 400 meter track sounds a little bit daunting. The thing that's great about it is that it gives us an enormous amount of control over a couple of things that are super, super important in record attempts. Um, so the first thing, like you mentioned, is pacing. Pacing is probably the single most important thing in any record attempt. And I'm constantly amazed when I see, especially big city marathons um, that are trying to go after records that bring in really expensive athletes and rabbits, and the pacing is just awful. And it's just like, how, how did you guys screw this up so badly? This is a world-class event. You know, you've got six pacers or something you've got these world-class guys and they go out way way too fast or something like that and i know i've read articles and that have suggested you know they should literally just paint every hundred meters on the ground for at least the first couple of miles just so that they can make sure that that they're not going out too fast because you know when you're trying to set a record if you're a tiny tiny bit over that edge like it's all over you can ruin the race in the first 15 minutes um even if it's a two or three hour race so pacing is super important. And the thing that I love about the track is that you have so much feedback. You literally have feedback every, every 15 to 20 seconds. Um, if you want it, you can have feedback every, every hundred meters. So we will have rabbits that are going to pace the race. Uh, we're going to have three to four athletes that are going to, uh, ideally take, take us through at about just under world record pace through 20 miles. That's the goal in terms of exactly how that uh, the pacing is going to structure, whether it's going to be perfectly even, whether we're going to start a little bit slow, whether we're going to start a little bit fast, that kind of remains to be seen. It'll probably have to do with the weather and basically how I'm feeling on race day. Um, so that'll, that'll really be a game time decision uh, between myself and the rabbits. After the last few workouts, and especially after the rock and roll DC race that went so well, I'm actually inclined to start slower, even a little bit behind world record pace just because like, that's what I did in that race. And it felt really, really good. I think that in a really long race, it's important to let the body really warm up well and start to, to start feeling good before you try to start pushing the pace at all. And in a 50 K, obviously you don't want to waste a ton of energy doing a long extensive warm up. So that's, that's a reason that my coach and I have been talking about potentially starting out a bit slower and then trying to accelerate kind of in the middle of the race. It's but, funny, Tyler, that, that reminds me of something my one of my college teammates told me once and he said, you know, a race can't be won in the first minute, but it sure can be lost. And that reminds me of so many races where, man, that first minute you can go out too hard and that just puts you in a position where you simply won't be able to recover. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're feeling good starting a little slow, it might be a, a really good strategy for you. Yeah, it's funny because a 50 K is, is basically a marathon plus an eight K it's, it's a tiny bit shorter than that, but or five miles. Um, and for me, after that, after the Rock and Roll DC Marathon, I started thinking about what if we thought about it as an 8K and then a marathon? And to me, that just, it totally changed the way that I thought about it. It's like, oh, okay, so we run an 8K, it's nice and relaxed, and then we have a marathon. And I've done that a whole bunch of times. That seems, it's this very, very subtle change, but to me, that just, it, it made a huge difference mentally. So that's really kind of one of the things that I'm thinking about going into this, is, as opposed to being like, okay, you have a marathon, which already feels really long, and then you have to do this 8K at the end. It's like, oh, we'll put the 8K at the beginning. It's obviously, it's exactly the same thing, but it's just the way that you're thinking about it as like, okay, you have an 8k warm up essentially and then you have to run this marathon and to me for whatever reason that really doesn't sound as bad <laughs> yeah, even i'm thinking about it and i'm like oh maybe i should do it 50k that sounds pretty easy <laughs> exactly um but anyways to get back to your other questions so the other the other big thing about um about a really long race is is fueling hydration um and cooling i would put all those in the same category and again the track track just gives us such a great way to control all those things. Um, you know, usually you run a marathon and even if you are lucky enough to be, you know, in the elite field, you get your water bottle on a table that you pass 
extremely quickly every 15 or 16 minutes. And that's basically your only shot. And if you miss that, then you're screwed for the next 15 minutes, which again, in the marathon like that, that can be the difference between, (laughs) between hitting the wall and not. So the fact that, you know, we're going to have support people on the track, we're going to pass them every, you know, minute or so instead of saying, Oh, I'm, I'm going to get my bottle in another eight minutes, but I really want it right now. It's like, Oh, Hey guys, I'm going to want my bottle next lap. And then I can get it and toss it back to them. And I don't have to like carry it for the whole race or anything like that. And the same goes for cooling. Um, you know, the race is going to be in Santa Barbara. It might be a little bit warm. Um, so being able to have, you know, really cold water that I can douse myself with every couple of minutes. Um, you know, when I, when I ran the world championship 50 K in, in Doha, uh, back in 2016, that was something that was super, super important was having really cold water and being able to keep my body cool. Um, because that was also a really, really warm race. So, yeah, it's, it's really just taking all those things that we can control and controlling them to the best degree that we can. And I think that, that having the race on the track, uh, really lets us do that. Well, I was just going to ask more about your fueling. So you're, you're taking some bottles so that you can presumably get, uh, your carbohydrate in and some fluid at the same time. Are you like thinking about a certain amount of carbohydrate per hour or uh, ounces of water per hour? How do you really break down your needs uh, over the course of the race? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's it's something that I've really figured out over the last few years of doing long races. Um, I'm, you know, some of it there's, there's no real science behind it for me personally. It's more just kind of, I'm an experiment of one and I'm trying to figure out what works for me. What that looks like usually is liquids and hydration. I basically drink by what my body feels like it wants. Um, I don't force myself to drink a certain amount. I don't really pay a ton of attention to how much I'm drinking. I just, I I do just try and drink, uh, like if I feel thirsty or if I feel ready to drink, I found that forcing myself to drink too much can lead to stomach distress. And and that's a big way, easy way to derail, um, a good long race. Uh, so I definitely don't try and drink excessively or any specific amount. Um, actually when I, when I ran the DC marathon, I literally didn't drink at all during the whole race. Um, just because it was quite cold and I just didn't feel thirsty. Um, and you know, I just never drank anything and it was fine. That said, you know, when it's a warmer race, you know, I'm definitely going to feel thirstier. And I know that just because a, from race experience and also everything that I'm going to do on race day, I've practiced in workouts. Um, that's a huge piece of advice that I try to give other athletes is never, ever try anything new on race day. Um, everything you do, whether it's fueling, whether it's the shoes you wear, whether it's your singlet, everything you should try out before race day. Um, you know, you would never go to a race and, and, you know, wear a completely new pair of shoes that you've never worn before, like a totally different model or something. So you shouldn't do the same thing with your fueling or your hydration or anything like that. I've heard lots of stories from people at every level, like super high level athletes who say, Oh yeah, I went to this race and I tried this new drink or this new gel or something that I'd never tried before. And I got like horrible stomach pains and cramps and dropped out of the race. And it's like, well, you've been training for this race for six months. It's a really seems like a silly thing to, to not consider. Um, so yeah, definitely never, ever try anything new on race day. Always, always use practice as practice for everything, whether it's, uh, you know, your literal running or your fueling or hydration. So that's, that's really kind of where I've developed my, my fueling strategy and hydration strategy has been both in races and in workouts. So in general, I, I don't try to eat anything real, like real food. I do take energy gels. Um, I take one about every 30 to 40 minutes, um, during the race. So yes, you can figure out what the carbohydrate count per hour is there, but that's, that's just what I've figured out in terms of feeling good for me. I do take the caffeinated gels because I feel like that's, I use caffeine from day to day. And and that's something that I've found that really helps me, especially stay engaged later in races. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much my feeling strategy is drink to comfort and then gels every 30 to 40 minutes. Well, you said something very telling earlier that I want to hit on, which was I figured out my fueling, you know, needs and what works for me over the course of a couple of years. And that really tells me two things. First of all, you figured it out. It's not like anybody had to tell you. It's not like you looked it up in a table of fueling 
you know, requirements. It does take trial and error and personal experimentation. And the other thing that you said was over a couple years. And that tells me that this is a process. It does take a little bit of time, particularly when you're fueling for these long races where, you know, you might only run one or two marathons a year or, you know, maybe a, a, a small number of ultra marathons over the course of a year. So you don't have a lot of opportunities to practice your fueling in an actual race situation. So, you know, it is kind of a long-term endeavor. You know, you might have a couple races where you completely bungle your fueling approach and then a couple races where you really get it right. And from there you can fine tune it. But, you know, like you said, it probably will take a couple years and a lot of trial and error, which does mean some uncomfortable runs. But I think it's something that is is worth that because once you kind of know what works for you what doesn't work for you you can really fine tune that to give yourself exactly what you need and i think that's great yeah exactly i mean it's for me for example i remember you know talking about getting data from from other people or from tables you know usually that's a good starting point so I'm pretty sure I just read like on the back of a gel packet that said, oh, take this every 40 minutes or so. And so that's, I'm pretty sure that's where I started and that's where I got that first idea. And then I found, oh, maybe instead of 40 minutes, I should do every 10K, which, you know, in a marathon, that's 32 minutes or so. And then like a very small change that I made, you know, within the last couple of years was, um, instead of going every 10 K I'm going to, I'm going to stagger it a little bit at the end where I basically just sneak in an extra gel because I was finding that I was crashing a little bit in the last eight to 10 K like most people do. So instead of going, you know, 10, 20, 30, and then I'm done, I'm going to go 10, 20, 29, 35. So I basically just sneak in an extra gel there by, by making those, those later ones a little bit uh, closer together. And that, that, that worked for me. I mean, who knows if that's a placebo or if it's coincidental, because obviously there, you don't do that many marathons, like you said, so you don't have a lot of data, but it, it worked, it's worked for me. And, and it's something I've stuck with in the past. So like you said, it's very much trial and error and sure, you know, you're going to, you're going to mess up and sometimes you're going to try and drink too much and get a really upset stomach, or sometimes you're not going to fuel enough and you're going to bonk really hard at the end of a run. But you know, it's all a process of, of figuring out what works for you. We've gone pretty deep on all kinds of really detailed, geeky things here about running, which, you know, like I said, I I absolutely love and I appreciate. But let's zoom out a little bit and, and let me ask you a little bit more of a philosophical question. Why do this? As you know, 50K is just a long way to go and you're going for a world record. That record, I think, is kind of right there with what you might be able to achieve. You're running 130 plus mile weeks. Why put yourself through this and in such a bright spotlight? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, for me, going all the way back to when I started running, I started as a senior in high school and I wasn't someone who was spectacularly talented in high school. I, you know, I wasn't even the top runner on my small high school cross country team, but my coach at the time, who is still my coach today, he said something that really resonated with me, which is that running is about self-improvement. And he was able to really instill this love of trying to find my own limits and trying to push myself and trying to find my own ceiling. And so that's really been the thing that's driven me for the last 10 years of running has, it hasn't been, you know, making the Olympics or setting world records or, or, or running the world championships. It's, it's really just been, I just want to see how far I can take this. And I want to see what I can do, uh, in the sport with, with the body that I have and, and, and the mind that I have. So for me, this is just, this is just the next step in that journey. Uh, it's not, you know, a be all end all goal. I don't think that this is going to define me as a person one way or the other, but it's definitely a test of my limits. It's, it's something that I've never done before. It's something that no one's ever done before. Um, and it'll tell me a lot about, you know, about where I am as an athlete and and what I can do. And, and, you know, again, like I said, whether I, whether I get this record or not, if I, if I do, it's not going to be like, okay, now I'm done. It's like, okay, that's great. And now let's set the bar a little bit higher and think about what's, what's next. Well, there's a purity to that, that I really respect. And that resonates with me. I, you know, I think that's the same reason why I stuck with running for such a long period of time was simply, I wanted to see where I could go with it and how much fun I could have with it and how fast I could get. And no matter what, it was something that I had so much fun doing. And uh, I just hope anybody listening to this will also use running to 
personally develop and see what your limits are, because uh, I think that's one of the best aspects of the sport. So Tyler, uh, as we wrap up here, I-, I want folks to follow along with this world record attempt. We're going to be publishing this, uh, I believe, the week of the 50K. Remind me the date that you're uh, going after this record. So the record attempt is going to be April 13, uh, which is Friday, lucky Friday the 13th. And right now, I believe we're scheduled for 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, um, but we might push it uh, earlier a bit um, if it's, if it's going to be real warm. So is there any way that we can either watch this online somewhere or either follow along with updates? Where can we really find out how you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the two places that I would steer you, one um, is just the hashtag time to fly 50K. That's, uh, that's the official hashtag for the event. Um, so any updates, uh, both between now and the race will be, will be there. Uh, we'll have that hashtag involved. The other place you can check out is, uh, my sponsors at strive trips have, have put together a site where you can follow along, uh, in my training journey, um, which really started about, uh, six weeks ago. So you can go to strivetrips.org slash 50 K Um, and there, there's some videos, there's a bunch of blog posts. Um, it's got my whole training log, uh, things like that. And then of course you can follow me on social media, which is, uh, at Tyler C Andrews, um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then in terms of actual coverage during the race event, again, I would, I would check out those hashtags and websites. Um, and there'll be more info on that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like right now. Well, I'll look that up as we get closer to the actual date of the race. And if there's any more firm guidance on that, I'll include that in uh, the intro and outro of this podcast and definitely in the blog post around it. So until then, um, have the have a great you know rest of your training block. We're going to be rooting for you and best of luck. OK, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was a great, great to talk. Okay, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tyler about his stretch goal, the 50K world record, and I hope that you follow along with his progress this coming Friday. He's going after the record on April 13th, and you can go to strivetrips.org 50K to check out the latest updates. Finally, are you a runner that wants to get better, race faster, get injured less frequently, run further? Well, of course you are. So you're going to love our sponsor, Inside Tracker. They test over 40 different biomarkers, like various stress hormones, to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or have any physiological weaknesses that can be remedied by either diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. This is why I love them. Because in other words, you learn about problems that have actionable solutions. Inside Tracker uses their blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into the optimal range. For any runner who wants every advantage to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I highly recommend Inside Tracker. And I'm not just a spokesman, I'm also a customer. Sorry, I've just always wanted to say something like that. <laughs> let's uh, let's just finish up and say that they do great work, and I had an awesome experience with them last fall, getting my own test and and the results. So head on over to InsideTracker.com to check out all of their testing kits, and don't forget code Strength Running will save you ten percent on any tests that they have available. Thank you again for listening to the podcast, for being a crazy runner and doing what you do. I wouldn't be here without you. Until next time.